0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about gluten sensitivity. My name is Amy Medling, and I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva, and I'm thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Tom O'Brien. So, uh, hi, Dr. Tom. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you. Good day to you.
0: So I want to give our listeners a little bit of information um, about your background. You are an internationally recognized speaker and workshop leader specializing in the complications of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, celiac disease, and autoimmune disease. And you are the founder of thedoctor.com, and you are the visionary behind the really paradigm-shifting gluten summit, A Grain of Truth, which I highly recommend um, taking a look at that wonderful summit. It's still available at theglutensummit.com. It brings together 29 of the world's experts on gluten and its connection to diseases, disorders, and um, the the wide range of uh, symptoms that can be caused by gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. So let's dive right in, Dr. Tom. Um, I wanted you to sort of address um, what Gluten sensitivity is, and how that's um, different from celiac disease.
1: You bet. Um, celiac disease is the condition that we all first became aware of—that people may have a problem with the proteins in wheat, rye, and barley. Uh, that, uh, uh, and it's the end stage of one of the mechanisms that a problem can occur, the end stage meaning when you've got the diagnosed disease. And it was children who were emaciated looking, like they were starving, and they weren't. But they looked like they were, and they had big, big bloated tummies. They looked like, um, uh, when a woman is eight months pregnant, the disproportionate size of her belly compared to the rest of her body is what these kids look like, the disproportionate size of their bellies compared to the rest of their bodies. And um, doctors tried for many, many years to figure out what this was. And then finally, it was during World War II when uh, wheat was no longer available and these kids got better and then the war ended and now these kids got sick again that a, um, a very observant doc said, well, it must be in the bread and started researching. And so they identified that, sure, that's exactly what happens is, for those that have that sensitivity, and if they have the genes, here's here's a bottom line. That you pull at a chain, the chain breaks at the weakest link. It could be at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, your um, uh, kidneys, uh, your reproductive system. Wherever the genetic weak link is, if you pull at the chain too hard, that's where you're likely to manifest a problem. And for these kids, their genetic weak link – was in celiac disease. So what is celiac disease? Your intestines, your, your digestive tract is a tube. The tube's 20, 25 feet long. It starts to the mouth, goes to the other end. It's a big, long tube. The inside of the tube is lined with shag carpeting. They're called microvilli. And this shag over here is where calcium's absorbed. This shag over here, vitamin C. The shag's over here, Fats and good oils, the shags over here, proteins, all the shags absorb different nutrients. Celiac disease is when your shags wear down and you've got berber. And hmm. if you've got berber, you don't absorb calcium. You get osteoporosis. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. That's why in the Annals of Internal Medicine, they say that every osteoporotic patient needs to be checked for celiac disease, as celiac disease could be the cause of their osteoporosis if you're not absorbing calcium and vitamin D and vitamin K and the other nutrients necessary to build strong bone. Or if the area of your intestines that's damaged by the sensitivity to wheat is where you absorb B vitamins, you may develop cardiovascular disease or you may develop hormone imbalances from the lack of B vitamins. Or if the area of the intestines that are damaged is zinc, is where zinc is absorbed, you certainly will develop reproductive disorders and infertility, and uh, there's 350 different enzymes that zinc is necessary for, so any of those symptoms may manifest. But the mechanism for these kids and these adults is that their shags wear down, and they've got berber. And that's where most of the research was done until not that many years ago, was looking at celiac disease, which is the end stage, uh, when your shags are all worn down. and th- But there are many other manifestations that of a gluten sensitivity that do not require the shags to be worn down, and that falls into the category of non-celiac wheat sensitivity or non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So their test for celiac will come back negative. So if your listeners were to go to their doctor and say, I want to be checked for wheat sensitivity, and they check you for celiac, it easily can come back negative because um, the incidence of celiac disease is about 1 out of 100, depending mm-hmm. on the group. If you, if you have a family member with celiac, it's 1 out of 20. But the incidence of non-celiac gluten sensitivity is somewhere between 6 to 20 out of 100, as opposed to 1 out of 100. So it's a much, much more prevalent condition out there. Uh, uh, that most doctors are just not that familiar with yet.
0: And, you know, I think it's what you said in the beginning of the, the call about these children with these bloated bellies, and I think a lot of women listening can probably relate with that. I know that for the longest time, you know, I had, always would have bloating um, after eating pizza or um you know, like a real gluten-laden meal, pasta. And I never really made that. I never made that connection. Um, And then once I decided that I was going to eliminate gluten, just because I kept reading more and more information about the connection with autoimmune disorders, uh, it was amazing to me how life-changing that was. It was like this veil was lifted, um, like the fog cleared, and the belly bloat went away. Um, and so I started eating a gluten-free lifestyle. Um, and then when um, you know I started PCOS Diva, I started meal plans and included gluten-free um, options. Um, my, my meal plans are pretty much gluten-free. And I started getting a lot of wonderful feedback from women that were experiencing kind of that same um sensation of the fog lifting feeling better you no know, no more joint pain um, and cycles were coming back too so maybe you can um, kind of explain what may be going on there in terms of um, you know the cycles coming back uh, the, the fog lifting um, you know I was never do- diagnosed with celiacs disease but um, I think I you know, have some type of gluten sensitivity.
1: Yes, yes, I would be happy to do that. And at the same time, I'm going to nail this discussion about is gluten sensitivity a fad. Uh, so do. we'll, yes, we'll we'll do both at the same, you know, to save time. Okay. So, um, and I'll start with the second part first on gluten sensitivity. Is it a fad when you don't have celiac disease? And that all started last year, and I won't go into the long history behind it, but. There was a slam dunk article, and I knew it was going to come out, so I was just waiting for it. Um, In Italy, the government will pay for your food. You you get a credit for gluten-free food if you're diagnosed with a gluten sensitivity, with or without celiac disease. If you're diagnosed with a gluten-related disorder, that's the terminology. Now, that includes celiac, but it's not limited to celiac. And in order to qualify, you have to go to one of the 30—just let me—was it 38 Italian centers, all recognized as referral centers and included in the register of the Italian Health Ministry for the diagnosis of gluten-related disorders. There's 27 gastroenterology clinics, five internal medicine clinics, four pediatric clinics, two allergy clinics that this is the go-to place where the whole country goes to one of these 38 centers around the country because you've got to be certified with a gluten-related disorder. And if you are, then you qualify to receive vouchers, and I'm not sure how that system works, but you've got to get the uh, uh, diagnosis. So they looked at uh, 17,000 patients in these 38 centers, 17,000 patients. And what did they find? They found that, obviously, people may have a sensitivity to gluten. Not everyone does, but some may. And if they did, here are the symptoms that were reported once these people were confirmed with the diagnosis. 68% of the people just didn't feel good. The the terminology was lack of well-being. 64% Mm -hmm. had had fatigue. 54% had headaches. 39% 39% anxiety, 38% foggy brains, 32% numbness, 31% joint muscle pain. And it kept going, skin rashes, weight loss, anemia, depression, uh, skin issues, um, rhinitis, asthma. Of course, some people have a sensitivity to the food without having celiac disease. And that study just slammed dunk, nothing but net, nailed it down, you <laughs> know, so... It's 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 not worth spending time on these naysayers. It's it's all a fad. Yeah, right. Just go read the literature, buddy. You know. So excuse me for being direct, but this one really gets me. And it, it upsets me because tens of thousands of people read these magazine articles and these new pa- newspaper articles from people who are writing sensational things. It's got to be a fad, or it's a fad. Science says it's a fad. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And so. Yes, absolutely. Um, Non-celiac wheat sensitivity, non-celiac gluten sensitivity occurs um, uh, without celiac disease. If you have celiac disease, you absolutely have to take care of it because it's a devastating disease. It it causes miscarriages. I published a paper three or four years ago on uh, reproductive disorders and celiac disease. And by the way, all of your listeners are welcome to get that paper. It's free. It's on my website. Uh, you can just go to the dr.com, and you have to search around. You'll find it there. Uh, but it's a jaw-dropping article about hormone imbalances, uh, and this was with celiacs because that's where most of the research was done. Now we know that that also occurs with non-celiac gluten sensitivity for some of the people, and if there's time, we'll go into some of the mechanisms by which it occurs. Uh, but if you suspect you have a sensitivity to a food or if you just know you aren't feeling good and you're trying to do the best you can to be healthy and you aren't eating ding-dongs and hoes. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I, I gave a talk in Australia uh, just a little over a year ago and I said that, you know, if you're eating ding-dongs and hoes and the whole place started roaring with laughter, 400 people, you just couldn't stop them. And I thought, well, it was kind of funny, but it wasn't that funny. You know, and then I learned at the break that it's another term for a penis. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I said, oh, my god!" I came back after the break. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And they started laughing again. <laughs> uh... But if you're really trying to be healthy, if you really are putting the effort out and you're being selective about your foods and you're doing what you can to not eat junk and you're just not feeling like 68% of the people, lack of well-being. It doesn't hurt to go on a nutrient-dense, gluten-free diet. You learn so much about your body. And if there's only one thing people walk away from this particular interview with, it's give it a shot. Try gluten-free, dairy-free for two weeks. Just try it and see what happens and see if you don't get an OMG from it about your body yeah. and about your your vitality. So. I went into the second part of the answer first, and I forgot what the first part was of the question. What was the first part?
0: Oh, I think I think you answered it. You know, what what's going on with all of those symptoms that are kind oh. of going away um, yeah. once you've, yeah. uh, you know, eliminated gluten? And um, you just – before you go on, I, I just wanted to um, emphasize a point where you said nutrient-dense, gluten-free – kind of diet, to give that a try, because um, just because, you know, a box on the store shelf says gluten-free doesn't automatically mean that it's healthy. So I to... Oh, listen, want
1: it listen to this. You're, you're absolutely right, Amy. Listen to this one. So you decide to go gluten-free. Okay, you go gluten-free. Now, normally, on your way to work every day, you stop at the local coffee shop and you get a coffee and you get a blueberry muffin. Now you walk in and you say, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm gluten-free, I can't have that. And so you get your coffee, you know, you feel a little deprived maybe, but you're strong and you're going to do it, and you just know you start feeling better going for your coffee the next day and you're, you know, still feeling better because you're going gluten-free and dairy-free, And but, you know, you know there's that habit. And you kind of like to have those carbs, and I know that feeling. And so that goes along, and then one day you go to your coffee shop and there's a sign, gluten-free, blueberry muffins. And, oh, I can have one It's healthy for me. As a matter of fact, they're healthy for me. I can have two. They're not healthy for you. It's garbage food, but, you know, there's no reason why you can't have a, a, a treat for yourself once in a while, a gluten-free treat once in a while, but it's not healthy for you. The gluten-free flours are not enriched with any nutrients, any vitamins. You know, in our culture today, is really a travesty that they take uh, grains and they take out 32 nutrients and they put four back in and they can market it as enriched, you know, but... Uh, uh, but the the gluten-free market, they don't add nutrients in there, and it really is a paste. It's just a paste that you're throwing down into, into your digestive tract. Uh, the, there's no reason why you can't do that once in a while. Just be conscious of it, that it's not a healthy food for you. What's healthy for you? Vegetables are healthy for you. Healthy meats, quality meats, quality fish, you know, if you're – uh, a meat eater. If you're a vegetarian, you really have to work hard at it, especially to be gluten free. It's a lot of work to do it, but you can do it. But you want to study what foods to eat, you know, what foods you mix together so that you can have this machine working for you. Your body's a machine, and if you put bad gas and bad oil in it, it's gonna run bad. And if you put good gas and good oil in it, it's gonna run a lot better for you. So, yes, nutrient-dense is very important.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about, you know, putting the bad oil in and and what does that cause. I I think it leads to sort of the the inflammation that, um, you know, women with PCOS were trying to um, kind of tame the flames of inflammation because we often deal with this chronic low-level inflammation. And... um, I was just going to bring up to our listeners is a really, I have another wonderful interview with Dr. Laura Bryden where she's talking um, about her new book, The Period Repair Manual, and in her book she talks about different types of PCOS, and this is kind of her theory. And she has a theory that there is um, a a type of PCOS that's triggered by inflammation, and whether that inflammation comes from maybe smoking or endocrine environmental disruptors or inflammatory foods like wheat and gluten. Um, Maybe you could explain a little bit how gluten is contributing to this kind of systemic inflammation
1: you bet you bet and it's a uh, it's a big page concept that I'm going to give you now it's actually the reason why so many people are finding that they have value when they eliminate gluten from their diets so you uh, and you're absolutely correct on this Amy when you talk about inflammation as far as I know every degenerative disease every disease whether it's heart disease cancer brain disease reproductive system diseases, PCOS, every disease is a disease of inflammation at the cellular level. The cell's always on fire. It just, the question is, is it gasoline or kerosene? And is it an ovarian cell or a fallopian tube cell? You know, where's the problem and what's fueling it? It's always inflammation. So a big picture concept for you guys is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. That's a first step in in addressing whatever type of body dysfunction you have that is not from an acute trauma, like you fell down and you broke an elbow or something, you scraped your skin, but something that's developed over time or you may have had since your cycles first began, which means it could have come from in utero that mom may have been exposed to chemicals um, there's a lot of research out there now that would suggest that. Um, so whether it came on um, uh, uh, in your development stage or after your cycles began, it's an inflammatory condition. It's inflammation. So you have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire. And the question is, a kerosene or gasoline? Well, gluten, if you have a gluten sensitivity, if you have – a recognized gluten sensitivity. Here's the visual for you. For those of you that have ever started a charcoal fire for a barbecue, now you spray charcoal um, lighter fluid on the coals, and you throw a match on there. Sometimes it doesn't catch. So then you have to take another match, especially if you have the wood stick kind of matches. You light the match, you lay it on the coals, and then you squirt some more charcoal fluid, on coals, you don't squirt it on the flame of the match because it'll put the flame out. You have to squirt it on the charcoals and the spray will catch the flame a little bit and then it'll catch. And that's how you start a charcoal fire if you're using charcoal lighter fluid. What would have happened if you had poured gasoline on that charcoal and then threw a match on it? This huge flame would have happened. That's gluten in your body if you have elevated antibodies already to gluten. If your immune system has determined that this is a problem for you, whether you get symptoms or not, if your immune system says this is a problem, it's gasoline on the fire, and then once again, you pull at a chain, and it's the inflammation that pulls on the chain. And if the weak link on your chain is your reproductive system, And you're suffering from PCOS, that's the weak link in your chain. You keep pulling on the chain and you're trying to, you're trying to deal with the symptoms, but you're throwing gasoline on the fire. So you have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire so then you can apply whatever, whatever principles you want to, to put the fire out. But you have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire.
0: So let me ask you, is, this, is going gluten-free, is it something that you have to really be committed to um, for the long haul? Do you have to really go cold turkey, or can we have cheat days?
1: You can transition. Some people do better by transitioning. There are many components, components to gluten. Gluten is not bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. There's gluten in rice. There's gluten in corn. There's gluten in quinoa. But it's Mm -hmm. the gluten in the family of grains of wheat, rye, and barley. That family of glutens are ones humans can't digest. And they're mild to moderate irritants until you cross the line. They're mild to moderate irritants. But there are many components to these toxic glutens in wheat, rye, and barley. If you have one of the antibodies elevated called gluteomorphins, which is a component of poorly digested wheat, then those people have a more difficult time weaning off, and those people do well to transition slowly. But the bottom line, to your, the second part of your question, can you have cheat days? Here's Here's the rule. You can't be a little pregnant. You can't have a little gluten, and here's why. Think of a vaccination for measles. They give you a shot of the bug measles. Your brain sees this bug floating around in your bloodstream, says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. You, General. And in your immune system, you've got Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. And the brain says, General, you now are General Gluten. Take care of this. General Gluten builds an assembly line. That assembly line starts producing soldiers those soldiers are trained as assassins to go after measles they're called antibodies so you get measles antibodies circulating in your bloodstream and they're kind of like arnold schwarzenegger with his head out of a big humvee and those dark glasses on in california we call him the governor you know so you've got the governator going, oh, go over there over oh, there and he's firing these chemical bullets to destroy the measles general measles is watching all of this When all of the measles bugs have been destroyed, General Measles says, okay, turn off the assembly line. I don't need any more measles antibodies out there right now. But General Measles is vigilant now the rest of his life. He's called a memory B cell. And for the rest of his life, if you're ever exposed to measles, he just has to flip the switch to turn the assembly line on. He doesn't have to rebuild the assembly line. That's why if you go to Africa, you need vaccinations months ahead of time for yellow fever, and dengue fever, and all these strange diseases. But if you go back to Africa 15 or 20 years later to visit again, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just have to turn general yellow fever back on again, so you'll have yellow fever antibodies in your bloodstream. The problem with gluten sensitivity, it is the only food that I am aware of we produce memory B-cells to gluten. If your immune system is making elevated antibodies to any of the peptides of gluten, then you have a memory B-cell, and it's vigilant the rest of your life. So if you cheat, if you have a cheat day, and some docs say, oh, it's okay, as long as you don't feel bad, it's okay. Absolutely not, because if you have a cheat day, and you activate the memory B-cell for gluten, turns on the antibodies, turns on the assembly line, you'll have elevated antibodies anywhere from uh, 60 to 120 days wow. from one from one exposure. And if the weak link in your chain is your re- reproductive system, that's where the inflammation is going to occur. If it's your brain, that's where the inflammation is going to occur, wherever the weak link is in your chain. And most people have more than one weak link also, by the way. Uh, so it, with PCOS, it may be... And the ovarian tissue, it's also the insulin receptors. Your insulin sensitivity goes down the toilet. You, you, you can't maintain stable blood sugar. And when you go on a gluten-free diet, your blood sugar stabilizes. Sometimes you reverse diabetes uh. on a gluten-free diet. It goes on and on, the benefits to it. But that's the big-picture overview, that if it takes you a year to transition to be fully gluten-free, you take a year. And if you have to cheat once in a while, you go ahead and cheat, but you understand that you haven't done it yet. You're not there completely, and you can't expect to have outstanding results. But if it takes you a while because you know yourself and you know the withdrawals are just really difficult, and uh, fine, do it, and then keep working on building a stronger foundation, taking the right nutrients to rebuild. You, you just keep working and learning more so that you can be successful. It doesn't have to be tomorrow unless you're suffering with migraines so bad that you can't function or pain so bad you can't function, then you are completely gluten-free, dairy-free immediately. Uh, but if it's like, that's ah, it's not that bad, then you need to transition. It's fine to transition. But once you've transitioned, you do not want to turn on that memory B cell general gluten again.
0: That was a really good explanation. Now I'm going to think of Arnold Schwarzenegger every time I go to <laughs> – <laughs> make a bad choice. Um, yes, that's good. that's good. Yeah, so you had uh, mentioned the, the brain, and I know that a lot of women with PCOS suffer from mood disorders, depression, anxiety, um, irritability, moodiness. And I know my, my husband used to joke, because um, he could usually tell if I've cheated because I'd be... Really snippy, and he'd say, "What did you just eat?" So, maybe you can explain to us what's going on um, in our right. brain. What's it to you? It's,
1: right. Um, what's it to you?
0: <laughs> what did you
1: just eat? What's it to you?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> you bet. You bet. <laughs> There's um, there are 14 different mechanisms by which a gluten sensitivity can impact on the brain, and um, the most common one. And this helps to put it together for most people. Um, is that if you have a gluten sensitivity, 73% of the people that have celiac disease, that's where the research has been done. But remember, um, in the uh, study from the 38 centers in Italy, the number two most common symptom was brain fog. Uh, But the study I'm going to tell you about now is specifically with celiac. But we know that the mechanism, or we suspect the mechanism is identical, for what I'm about to tell you. So... They took um, uh, patients who had recently been diagnosed with celiac disease and not yet started a gluten-free diet, and they took the same number of patients who had been on a gluten-free diet for a year, and then they took um, twice as many controls, people that didn't have a problem with wheat. And all these people, they did um, SPEC scans. Now, a SPEC scan is a look at the brain to see how well saturated is your brain tissue with blood. Uh, now... I grew up in the Midwest, and you know in the summertime you do not water your lawn for five minutes a day. It's a waste of time. You soak the lawn once or twice a week. You really soak it because the water has to get down to the roots. The blades of grass do not absorb water. the water, There has to be enough water to get down into the roots, and the roots absorb the water to keep the grass healthy. Right? So you have to soak it. So a spec scan looks to see how well are you soaking your brain. Um, Is there enough blood and abundant amounts of blood in all of the brain tissue? And what they found was that those that have a sensitivity to gluten, 73% of them had a lack of blood flow into at least one-third of their brain, at least one-third of the brain, 73% of them. And it varied between the 12 areas of the brain as to which area was not getting enough blood. It varied with the individual. Mm -hmm. If, if it was in the back of the brain, called the occipital lobes, those are people that would be very sensitive to seizures. If it was in the middle of the brain, the parietal lobes, those were people that were more sensitive to autism. If it was in the front, and by the way, everyone had the front area um, with low blood flow of these 73%. They all had the frontal area, but they also, some of them had other areas. But if it's in the frontal, it's depression and anxiety and every one of them. Had that. So 73% of them. Now, those on a gluten-free diet for a year or more, only 7% still had hypoperfusion, Uh. a lack of blood flow. Only 7%. Now, here's how you put this in perspective. If everyone listening could, if you could cross your legs right now, please do that, you know, whether you're sitting or standing, just cross your legs for a moment. Now, leave them like that for three hours and stand up and run. You can't. There's there's no blood in your leg. You can't run. Give your child toast for breakfast if he has a gluten sensitivity and send him to school to learn. He can't. There's just not enough blood in the brain. It's not functioning properly. When they do these studies on autistic kids, they find the autistic kids that all have the same mannerisms of autism, whether, let's say, repetitive behavior. They all have that same repetitive behavior. They all had hypoperfusion in the same area of the brain. If they were autistic kids that don't speak, they had no verbal skills, they all had hypoperfusion in a different area of the brain. That wherever the brain lack of blood flow, where it wasn't getting soaked in there, that's where the symptoms were manifesting. That's what gluten does to you. I'll give you one more study about kids because, you know, it's got my dander up whenever I start talking about this. They took 132 kids diagnosed with attention deficit. They put them on a gluten-free diet. Within six months, every child or their parents reported a significant improvement in all DSM-IV markers of attention deficit. There's 12 markers. Every child, every marker, fails to finish work, interrupts class, blurts out answers, unduly noisy. Every marker improved in every child on a gluten-free diet. If that were a uh, drug, It would have been on the front page of every paper in the country, and school districts would be mandating that children take it. Mm -hmm. But there's no profit in this, so there's no drive uh, behind this to, to disrupt the norm. There's no profit here. So the politics of it keep it buried. That article should have been on the front page of every paper in the country. And the authors of that article in their last paragraph said, Every child diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder should be checked for celiac disease, as celiac disease could be the cause of their, oste- of their um, um, attention deficit. They couldn't say it any clearer. It's the same with PCOS. If that's the weak link in your chain, you, you read my paper on reproductive disorders and celiac disease, and you see all of the different conditions that may be associated with this sensitivity to gluten. If that's where the weak link in your chain is, and then the bottom line is, you want to get well? Give this a shot. It's not going to hurt you. There are tens and hundreds of thousands of people now that are saying, OMG, this really works. I'm really surprised how this works. So it it won't harm you to try this, and you may be startled.
0: Well, and I think the point that you made about there's really no money in this because it's does, isn't tied to another pharmaceutical, or um, and, and I think a lot of women with PCOS are, you know, they, they realize that because we're often, uh, you know, just given a couple therapies, metformin or the birth control pill. When there's so many herbals and and different other remedies like eliminating gluten that um, that really work, but have not been. Specifically studied for PCOS because nobody's going to fund that. So,
1: that's exactly having, right?
0: Yeah, having folks like you share your wisdom um, and spread your knowledge, and you know, women have to really become advocates for themselves. So, thank you, and and I'm going to absolutely post the link underneath the interview to your article about um, hormonal balance and gluten um, and Uh, Do you have any other resources that you'd want to share with us?
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, there are a couple. First, thanks for all your support, It's really great. And um, I I would just make one comment um, uh, to your listening audience, and that is, you know, the whole thing about um, um, uh, protocols that help with symptom relief, they're great. They're absolutely great, and they work. And for some people, uh, some work more than others, you know, but you look for your sources like your website, you know, and you get really good quality information and you give it a shot. But what we're talking about here is a foundational principle. This is not a treatment for PCOS. This is a foundational principle of how to address your body being healthier across the board, that when this one goes bad or goes uh, imbalanced, Wherever the weak link is, that's where it's going to show. And if you keep trying to take the nutrients, the herbals, you know, whatever, whatever the protocol is you're deciding to use, they can be helpful. But if you're still throwing gasoline on that fire, causing the inflammation, then you're caught between a rock and a hard place. You get some results but not great results. So um, look at this discussion today. Perhaps listen to it again. Go to our website, just read all of the articles that are there. Uh, There's a bunch of interviews also that are there that you can listen to. And just get a big-picture overview. So I'm wanting to take everyone away from symptom relief, not to diminish the importance of symptom relief, but begin to think about where is all this coming from and address that underlying principle. Where is the inflammation coming from? Where is, I'll say it differently, where is the inflammation coming from? Where is the inflammation coming from? That's the million-dollar question. And now you've got a weak link in your chain. Thank you. Thank you. You have a weak link in your chain. Where did it come from? Who knows where it came from? Who knows? It might be a progesterone deficiency. You identify it. You work to build up your progesterone levels. It might be insulin resistance. You identify it. You learn how to balance your food intake so that you reduce insulin resistance. You you learn from those mechanisms of what triggers it, but what's the foundational uh, platform to address. But there's a couple of other things specifically uh, uh, that I'd suggest that you take a look at. The, there's a couple of articles um, that I'm suggesting to you. One is called Differentiating Gluten-Related Disorders and the Conundrum of Gluten Sensitivity. Uh, that, uh the first one, differentiating gluten-related disorders, that's going to address this whole thing about a fat. Um, it's a really nicely written article, and it's one that you can take to your doctor because I quote the research studies in there so that if he wants to, he'll look it up and he'll get educated and find out also that, oh, so, the, yeah, this thing does occur without, without celiac disease. Okay, well, that's good to know. And the second one is called the conundrum of gluten sensitivity, why the tests are often wrong. So that you learn what type of testing to do. There's, the common tests that are done are very misleading because they give a lot of false negatives. They say there's no problem when there is one. So you have to do the right kind of testing and that's um, listed for you in that article, The Conundrum of Gluten Sensitivity. So if you go to my website, the doctor, the dr.com, the dr.com forward slash favorite articles, favorite articles, and you'll find them there. Now, you can just go to the dr.com and go through all the articles that are there, and you're welcome to. Uh, but to get these two, just forward slash favorite articles, and they'll be sitting there for you. And the last thing that I would recommend to this listening audience, please consider, if you want to learn about this, please consider listening to The Gluten Summit. Um, I interviewed world leaders. I, I went to Oxford, England, Bologna, Italy, Tel Aviv, Israel. And I brought the world leaders. These are not clinicians. These are the scientists. And then I brought in some clinicians, people on the cutting edge like my friend Mark Hyman, uh, Mark Houston from Vanderbilt University, Bill Davis the wrote Wheat Belly, Lauren Cordain, the founder of the Paleo Movement. I brought those clinicians in also. But you're going to hear from the scientists who are going to explain to you how this thing occurs and why it occurs, and it's interpreted into everyday language. Keep a pen and paper because you'll still get a bunch of Scrabble words that you can use and impress your friends. But you know, it's really, uh, if I do say, it, it's well done. I'm very proud of it. We've had over 200,000 people listen to it. And we get uh, testimonials every week just saying thank you so much. Thank you. So that's theglutensummit.com. And I would suggest that everyone who has an interest, if you really want to know about gluten, that's where you're going to get the most Uh, grounded information in the science.
0: Yeah, and I can vouch for the Gluten Summit. I own the Summit recordings and transcripts, and I I find myself often referring back to them. Um, It's really just uh, was a fantastic production um, and a lot of work, I know. So I, I applaud you. And I also just want to uh really encourage women that are listening to understand that knowledge is power and take full advantage of these resources. I will post all of the links so it will be easy for you to find them. Um, and I and I often say that, you know, we have to be divas at the doctor and it's um, really helpful to, to know, that the, especially the, the testing that we need to be advocating for, and to be able to understand results and um, to be able to bring the studies to your doctor, because that's kind of the language that they speak. So um, thank you, Dr. Tom, for kind of putting all of this information together for us.
1: Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I want to thank everyone for listening today, and I also want to encourage you to please go to pcosdiva.com and take a peek at the other expert interviews that we have.